0: What does cooking mean to you? Cooking is a way of sharing love. Uh, it's of making people happy of, of kind of uh, uh, creating uh, joyful moments and the moments you remember. Enchanté.
1: Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. Uh, Boeuf Bourguignon would have to be one of the most famous French dishes there is, but it's not without its controversy. Some say it's an old dish, but then some say it's modern. Others would say that it's a regional specialty, hence the name. But others say, well, no, it was made up by Americans. Made famous partly by the incomparable Julia Childs, has this dish that we all know and love been laid bare to false claims or got caught up in our love affair for all things French? Well, today we discuss with a fellow French food lover, all things beef Bourguignon, and try to find out what its true origins are and also how to make it. My French neighbours might have told me that my birth bourguignon was the best that they've ever had. I think I've told you all that before, but it turns out I might have competition with today's guest. He works in IT, runs along with his wonderful wife a very successful online French language course, and above all, is passionate about all things French food. Olivia Kaffes, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Uh, bonjour, Andrew. It's uh, great to uh, to be here. Bonjour, Olivier, you were born in greece but before the age of 17 you lived in greece spain france and west africa yes which one of these countries do you think influenced your childhood the most
0: oh that is a a good question they all had an impact absolutely um uh, one of the things you'll notice in common is a lot of them, um, are French speaking. So the, the West Africa where I, I grew up for eight years, uh, France. And of course my, um, uh, I was raised by my mom and my grandmother who spoke French. So, um, you know, so, so I would say French influence was probably the, the, the biggest thing, but, but I do consider, you know, having traveled so much, I do consider myself kind of, a uh, uh, citizen of the world. I, I, you know, I, I think of myself as French, but but uh, uh, it's not not just French, also very much different cultures and all of them had an impact on me.
1: So you were born in Greece and you lived there for a while as a child. Have you been back now as an adult? And when you do, do people think you're Greek?
0: Oh, yes. Well, you know, my last, I was very lucky with my last name. It's just karfis and not something, you know, with a Ulos or Bakupulos at the end. So, um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I do speak Greek. My, uh, so my father was Greek. Uh, my mom was, uh, is French. And so, uh, uh, it was a love story and they, uh, I, that's why I was born in uh, Greece, but it's a love short story that was very short. So that's why I left Greece when I was nine months old. (laughs) Okay. But uh, no, I, 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 have always had, uh, my mom always made it a point for me to, uh, to go back to Greece every summer. So I, uh, I spent, uh, you know, probably from the age of, yeah, the age of two, two, three years old, uh, pretty much every summer in Greece with my, uh, my dad and my uh, paternal family. So I do speak Greek and I, have uh, but I've not been there in a few years now. But uh, when I was a kid, it was a lot.
1: What was the reason that you moved around so much as a as a family when you were a child?
0: My uh, right after the Second World War, my uh, maternal grandparents uh, went to West Africa and, and especially Dakar, Senegal, um, Ivory Coast. Uh, a lot of French uh, people kind of try to you know make it there, and so my my mom was born in Dakar in uh, in 1950. Uh, and my grandma, uh, stayed there for many, many years. So that's kind of the attachment, uh, the reason why uh, I grew up eight years in, uh, mostly in Senegal, um, and, uh, uh Ivory, Ivory Coast and, uh, Haute High Volta, which is now called Burkina Faso. Uh, due to the unfortunate history uh, of uh, the French in, in that area, uh, there are several countries where French is the official language. So it's it's like moving to a whole other world, uh, you know, a whole continent, uh, but also having your language being spoken there. So it makes it a lot
1: easier. Was it an insulated life? Like, was it all just expat communities, um, so to speak? Or did you go to, like, local schools? You went, did you eat regional food, that sort of thing?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, the school, uh, I went to Les, Les Pères Maristes, which is a, uh, it's a Catholic uh,
1: school, that kind of
0: uh, known, you know, there's a lot of them around the world. And, um, yeah, my class was mostly uh, Senegalese kids. So I grew up uh, definitely uh, I was the minority there. Um, And yeah, it was it was definitely, uh, you know, of course, there's definitely an expat community that you you uh, you definitely uh, sync up with. But but uh, I grew up also with uh, everybody.
1: For me, I know of uh, Vietnam, and I can see the French influence there in Vietnam. When you with food, with architecture, all of those sort of things, is that the same thing in Senegal and in those places? Is there a, a French influence in the food? Is there a French influence in architecture and things like that? Ap- apart from the French language, which is the obvious one,
0: uh, yeah, absolutely. In architecture, you definitely see you know, lots of the buildings were built. You know, uh, prior, to, I, I believe Senegal was independent. Became independent in 57, I think, or it's one of the first, uh, uh um, one of the, I believe it's the first African country that became completely independent. So, but there was, there's still quite a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of influence on, on the buildings, uh, on the food. Uh, and, and what's interesting is that even in uh, Wolof, which is the, well, there are a lot of many different languages, you know, spoken in Senegal, but Wolof would be the, the, the official, um, African, you know, Senegalese, you know, the most spoken Senegalese language there. And when people speak Wolof, the interesting is, uh, thing is, uh, kind of like the Mar- Moroccans do is uh, when they speak Arabic, is they throw in whole French sentences and French words. Um, even though they speak Wolof, like, they, they it's not just a, 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 pr- a proper name. They'll actually do, use verbs, they'll use uh, adjectives and all this in French. So it's kind of a very interesting mix yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there is definitely a huge amount, a huge influence. Yes.
1: Is there a dish that is uh, synonymous with Senegalese food that has that sort of uh, French influence in it? That they've taken some French in- ingredients and made it their own? Uh,
0: that's that's interesting. Uh, 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 just to preface that, uh, uh, I was in Africa until I was
1: uh, the age of twelve. Oh, so I'm oh, surely you remember everything.
0: <laughs> so, so, so you know, it's 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 been a little while, uh, and also my 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 uh, center of interest were not as much as cooking at that time, and, and but but for example, I, I I can tell you for example uh, the poulet yassa, uh, which is uh, kind of a uh, it's a very onion based uh, uh, chicken kind of uh, um, I guess a stew. Uh, so that I would imagine would be kind of a, as i you know, a stew of a chicken and with a, almost like a French, you know, I, I wouldn't say French soup, you know, onion soup, but you know, I think that's probably has some of these influences, but honestly, uh, uh, I was probably too young to, to be able to give you a good answer on <laughs> on the influence on, on this. Uh <laughs> sorry.
1: Olivier, who cooked in your house? Was it your mom?
0: Uh, my, my, so I, as I mentioned, my, I was uh, raised by my mom and my maternal grandmother and they both cooked and they cooked really well and my and uh, when i went back to greece my my paternal grandmother my uh, yaya uh, would also be a very good cook so so uh, the three the, those three women have had the most influence on the on me in terms of cooking
1: what's your fondest memory growing up of food some
0: dishes kind of stick out so and again there you know there's some there are french dishes on the french side and then greek dishes on the greek side um uh, my uh, my grandma made an absolutely incredible uh, gigot um uh, you know leg of lamb uh, like a very traditional french leg of lamb uh, and the funny thing is that my 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 greek grandma made also a very good traditional greek uh leg of lamb but completely you know uh, the greeks uh, don't eat their meat um uh, red so you know in france we tend to eat uh, lamb very red Uh, In Greece, it's it's not at all red, so which is kind of interesting. Um, And then, you know, in France, we use more uh, uh, things like you know just oregano and thyme. You know, and in Greece, we use a lot of lemon uh, with uh, especially the traditional uh, Easter leg of lamb, which is incredible. So, uh, uh, and then um, my mom made uh, an amazing mousse au chocolat that i remember very well uh so yeah so all these kind of dishes that you know some greek dishes uh, my grandma made tzatziki which is uh, a yogurt and uh cucumber kind of a side dish a tzatziki which which is pretty much with every meal and that was just absolutely incredible those are some of my fondest memories
1: you moved to the States at the age of 17 to study. Why the States and what were you studying?
0: So, uh, because I moved so much, uh, we so we didn't talk about Spain, but I moved to Spain when I was uh, right from Africa, when about twelve, thirteen, 12, uh, 13. And when we moved to Spain, there were no French schools. Uh, there was a French school, but it was too far. So, my mom, who actually had studied in Cambridge in England... Uh, who's always a huge fan of the um, uh, Anglo-Saxon school system, uh, instead of putting me, you know, um, in a French school far away and, and you know, uh, have to having to uh, to a room and board there, uh, she put me into an English international school that was close by. And so from the age of 13, I basically uh, uh, was in an English kind of, uh, you know, first in international, English international school system. Um uh, And then, uh, when we finally moved to France just before uh, when I was sixteen, seventeen, instead of going back to a French system and completely, you know, screwing or, <laughs> screwing me uh, with my studies, uh, I remained in an American international school. And because of that, I was predestined to to probably go to to the US to study. And at that time, also, I was uh, into music and music production, music technology. And, I, you know, that was 1990. And in t- 1990, there were very few schools in the world that offered that type of, uh, of education. And one of them was in Boston. And that's kind of Berkeley College of Music. And that's why I basically ended up in Boston. And stayed there for 18 years. 18 years and met my wife there.
1: (laughs) What was the best thing about living in the U.S.? You stayed there for 18 years.
0: Well, I, I, you know, so I went there for uh, first to study. uh, And, you know, school was amazing. Um, And then I basically started working there and uh, eventually even became uh, a U.S. citizen in 2005. So all three of us. Uh, so my daughter was born in in the U.S., but my wife and I uh, got naturalized a uh, U.S. citizen also. And you know, the U.S. Uh, to me, the U.S. was wonderful. Uh, especially, I think the U.S. are absolutely incredible when you when you're a hard worker and when you're in your 20s and early 30s. I mean, the the opportunities are just absolutely incredible. Uh, I was able to to work. Uh, I was in mostly in high tech and anything that had to do with creatives and high tech and I was afforded opportunities. I would, I would not have been able to in France or, or in other countries. So, so that just the, 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 you know, it's called the land of opportunity and uh, that's, there's a reason why. <laughs> and just, you know, it just, you know, everything is, is simple and, and well, you know, not everything, but, but it's just, it's, it's things. If, if you work at it, if you, uh, if you have a drive, then the U.S. is just absolutely incredible. Again, I might have changed since I've left.
1: <laughs> Would you go back there
0: to live? To live? No, I don't think so. It's kind of interesting. I, I, no, I, I think I'm, you know, uh, just the, the, the way it's divided now, it's just to me, uh, it's such a sad thing to see. And and, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've stayed there 18 years. I love my 18 years there. Uh, you know, I, but I probably, no, I don't think I'd see myself living there. My daughter probably would. She she she's actually very uh, uh, she's very proud of her American uh, heritage and uh, and is and I believe probably will be uh, moving there at some point because she she's very uh, she loves it there.
1: Uh, On to food. What does cooking mean to you? Uh, cooking is a way of sharing
0: love. Uh, it's of uh, making people happy. Of of kind of uh, uh, creating uh, joyful moments and the moments you remember. Uh, you know that's probably the very french side of me and you know french uh food is extremely important because food is present when you when you are with the people you love you know and being just a simple uh dinner at you know the 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 dinner at night with your family that's love or you know the sunday I, i'm lucky enough my 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 parents live very close so every sunday probably you know Three Sundays out of of a month, we get together for uh, a Sunday meal, traditional meal, and so and all the occasions. So yeah, food equals good occasions.
1: Now you need to explain something uh, to our listeners and our audience because you know a lot of countries around the world and a lot of uh cultures do have uh, the the Sunday lunch equivalent etc um for us in australia it's a barbie you know you go to somebody's yes. house and you mm-hmm. go and it's a barbecue and it can be friends it can be family and you know you go you have a few beers somebody's going to be the designated driver so that person <laughs> usually doesn't want to stay too long so you know it might go the afternoon, but it's not going to go into like the evening. You'd probably go home to have another meal that night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sunday lunch is a little bit different here in France. I've been to many a Sunday lunches, and I've prepared dinner that night to have when we got back, and I've not gotten back until like 10 o'clock at night from arriving at someone's house at one. It goes a long time, Sunday lunch in France.
0: Yeah, and uh, first of all, uh, uh, kudos for you to thinking that you would actually eat the dinner that you prepared (laughs) because, because, you know, usually after a a Sunday lunch, uh, uh, you know, dinner is a yogurt.
1: (laughs) Yes, don't worry, I've never done that again. I've never made the same mistake. Um, But just the first time I went to somebody's house for lunch on a Sunday, it was like, yes, okay, all right. Well, it's, it's eight o'clock and we're just having our main. I'm not getting home before 10. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: so you, you went to extreme, you know, hardcore French people at eight o'clock. I, I would think, you know, uh, our, our, uh, our usual Sunday lunches. And uh, uh, what's interesting is my, my stepdad um, uh, is an amazing chef. He was actually a professional chef uh, for many, many, many years. And so, uh, uh, you know, makes incredible French. He's very uh, traditional French cook. I actually specialize in now in cooking more ethnic foods because he makes French foods, you know, such good French food that I tend to kind of try to do the, the, uh, so we can, you know, have a change and mix, uh, in different days. Um but yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we, the, we get there at one o'clock in the afternoon, uh, have, you know, my little aperitif and something then probably, you know, sit down at table at two o'clock and then probably, you know, at four o'clock, you know, kind of maybe, uh, go, go and uh, sit down, uh, in a couch and have some coffee. And yeah, we're, we're probably not home by, by, uh, I'd say five o'clock, five thirty. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's not the eight o'clock you know, that, you, that you've that you experienced, but yes, it is. It is uh, and it's not just, you know, I don't think it's just the meal part. It's, it's just, you know, the staying in family part. You
1: know? I was introduced to yourself through your lovely wife, Camille. You run French Today, uh, which teaches people to speak French on uh, online courses, etc. Before we discuss all things and yong what would be the most important tip you could give somebody that wants to learn the French language?
0: one of the things that our our method focuses on the most you know of course it teaches you you know the the rules and grammar and all this which are absolutely required to to learn french but it really kind of focuses on um, allowing you to express yourself to to go to france to to and be able to to feel confident uh in using the language and understanding the french Uh, you know one of things that a lot of people are not aware of when they study in schools is that uh, the spoken French is dramatically different than the written French? And yes, they'll you know say yeah. Well, spoken English is different than written English. Yes, but in France, this that extreme is just it, it, well that that range between the two is very extreme. And so somebody might have you know, and I think you probably uh, I see you're nodding. You probably have been aware of of that. Where which is you know you might have have you know you might be able to read french really well you might be able to write you know decently uh, but uh, and i've met a lot of people you know in, in through our company where you know they've had 10 15 years of french and 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 really can write can can read and as soon as you tell them a simple sentence they just freeze because the sounds are definitely not the same and then they try to express themselves and they they try to bring all that complexity that they've learned in, in writing and, and use that in speaking, and, and they just spend all this time kind of trying to conjugate verbs and agreements and all this. So uh, the tip is, especially at the beginning is simplify your sentences. You know, uh, we, we uh, as adults, uh, kids don't do that as, uh, as much, but as adults, we have this personality, you know, we, we think of ourselves sometimes, you know, as a witty person as a smart person. And so you try to convey that in your language, and in English, you know, in your native language or whatever your native language is, you know, you you are able to convey that. In enough in a foreign language, if you try to convey all that wittiness, that complexity that you're used to, uh, you're going to try to make sentences are too complex, uh, and that's when you fail. So I think you know, the first tip is to try to speak. You know, have short sentences, shorter shorter sentences. Don't try to suddenly go into uh, Subjunctive and and all these crazy complex sentences. You know, stay in in you know the, the present, stay in simple tenses, and just practice being confident and comfortable speaking. Um, you know, the, there's you know, it, it's if you say in French and if you say in the present, the sentence in the present, uh, je mange, I eat, and you say je mange hier, I eat yesterday. Yeah, it's not correct French, but. I, you absolutely understood that you meant. Oh, you ate something yesterday. So, you know, of course, it, you know, you don't want to speak like that your the rest of your life. But to start and to build this confidence, that's where you should do is is just simplify your French.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good tip. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support them making it fabulously delicious, then there are many ways that you can do this. The first, possibly the most important, is to follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review and a rating. A five-star one, well, that would be fabulous, especially if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Share Fabulously Delicious around with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone that you know loves French food, or just food in general. Are you a Patreon member? Well, if you can support Fabulously Delicious by becoming one, for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month, you will receive exclusive-grade content just for you. You can find out more through the link in the show notes of this episode. Getting on to today's topic, yes, I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's one of my favourite French dishes to cook, the beef bourguignon. I believe it's one of your favourites as well. Is that correct?
0: It is. It is. It's right. Uh, it, it's just there's uh, there's something about it. There's this kind of comfort food. Needs kind of this complexity of taste. Yeah, it's, it's I love beef bourguignon. All
1: right. So, what is a beef bourguignon?
0: And just so you know, uh, in France, most of the time we just call it a bourguignon we don't even put the buff in front because it's it's kind of we we we, we it's assumed so we'll just say bourguignon a bourguignon, uh, a bourguignon is, is a very basic dish and it's a dish that you know you can find in other countries and different forms but it's pretty much you know some sort of protein and you know most of the time beef uh basically cooked in wine (laughs) and then you know of course there's a bunch of other stuff but that's that's the basic of it it's it's a it's a tough piece of meat you know like a a kind of second or third grade uh piece of meat that is cooked for hours and hours in 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 red wine and you know how can you go wrong with just those two things right
1: (laughs) the actual bourguignon what does that mean in terms of, in the culinary terms?
0: It's it's a, so it's, uh, Bourguignon is, is from the Burgundy region. And the Burgundy region is where, you know, they make Burgundy wine. So, so basically uh, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the, 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 the base, the, the root of the term is, is, you know, with Burgundy wine, because it's done in the Burgundy area. But, you know, again, you know, you might, you might, uh, based on, you know, all my travels and all this, you know, I, I, I like, I'm not, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, food is meant to taste good. If it tastes good to you, it's the same thing as tasting wine. If wine tastes good to you, then just you don't have to, to, to sweat it. It's not, you don't have to use a very specific wine and a very, you know, it's just use a good wine. Uh, it doesn't have to be from Burgundy. Uh, it can be a Bordeaux. It can be, um, uh, I've made, uh, Beuve Bourguignon, which I guess cannot be called, but technically, but I made it with a very good fr- uh, Spanish wines. So as long as you have a wine that is, that is kind of a, a hearty wine that is not sweet. So you definitely don't want to do this with, uh, uh, Zinfandel. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, you know, it being wine is, is debatable. Um, but you know, don't do it with a sweet wine. Don't do it with uh, with a wine that might have too much, like an oak flavor, and all this. But as long as it's a it's a it's a good, you know, dark wine. You know, if you can't find any wine from Burgundy, you can use other wines. It's not it's not really specific to that.
1: Well, that leads me to this question because really. Is it a birth bourguignon if it doesn't have burgundy wine in it? I mean, for an example, I did an episode with, on the Tarte Follette with a uh, Teresa Kaufman. Um, now Tarte Follette is with the Rublichon, um, I can't pronounce it. Rublichon. Rublichon. Uh, cheese. So if that has Parmesan cheese on it, is it still a Tarte Follette? Are we getting? Is it like? Are we get looking too much into it? If I say a bœuf bourguignon isn't a bœuf bourguignon if it doesn't made, isn't made with Burgundy wine.
0: You know, you can say this for pretty much every dish, right? Uh, uh, you know, my big, my favorite one. You know, the big thing also is the quiche lorraine, right? The quiche lorraine, uh, the quiche, which is very famous uh, uh, worldwide. You know, in the US, I think the US eats probably more quiche than, than the French do. The funny thing is that a, 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 a traditional quiche Lorraine does not have cheese. You, you, if you put cheese in a quiche Lorraine, the people from Lorraine will actually, you know, physically harm you. <laughs> but yet, 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 you know what? I love cheese in my quiche Lorraine because it tastes good. So you, you can approach food. You can approach food two ways, and especially recipes. You, you, you can really, you know, follow the strict kind of you know the 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 encyclopedic version of the dish and you know try to you know do exactly the same ingredient the exact same techniques you can do that that's if if that's what you're into absolutely you know and they are of course you know great french chefs uh that make very traditional but book uh there are very specific rules to follow very you know procedures but again, bœuf bourguignon never meant, was never meant to be like a, a fancy dish. You know, it's a very low-end kind of, you know, it's just a stew that you throw a bunch of stuff into, uh, you know, into wine. So it's your approach to cooking, right? If, if you're very much, an, you can definitely follow a very strict uh, recipe. And if you follow that strict recipe, yes, your wine should be for Burgundy. But you can you know there's it's flexible it's cooking it's not it's not baking right baking is to be very precise cooking is so i don't know i'm not that that as hardcore on on the specific recipe Uh, i do you know in my recipe i do some things that are a little outside of the ordinary but i think you know with i think that tastes
1: better we'll get into that in a minute um (laughs) if i make a F- uh, if I'm, so, we're essentially saying it's a beef and wine stew, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, if I'm from Normandy, for an example, the coq You have a coq vin, um, which is chicken and red wine, mm-hmm. traditionally. Yeah. But no. then you have, uh, in Alsace, they have a coq au riesling. Uh, in Normandy, you have a coq au beer. In Brittany, you have a coq au cid- oh, cid- where, exactly. where they're using cider. Yes. We- so... If you're going with that, are there different versions of a beef stew that outside of Burgundy and Burgundy wines that you have? What what's a beef stew in Normandy or Brittany?
0: Uh, Is there one? Those are good question. Um, I'm not familiar too much with Normandy, uh, in, and as far in Brittany, I don't think there's any uh, uh, there's any specific beef based uh, again it, it, you know here in Brittany does not well there are very few but uh, does not really produce any wine so they produce mostly cider so you wouldn't find yeah. anyways something uh, with 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 wine you'd find it more with cider with beef and cider. yeah mm. which I guess it's probably I'm, that- I'm sure that can taste really good <laughs> uh, again yes every <laughs> single region every <laughs> single region has as you know a uh, a variation of a particular dish and again, if you go back to the root of above bourguignon, it's it's the kind of meat that you would not be able to eat otherwise, you know right it's it's a it's a very tough piece of meat that has to be stewed a long time. And so in your stew what 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 sort of liquid do you put in there to, to make it you know uh, um, and so that's how you end up with the different variations but yes again, a uh, 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 burgundy uh, uh beef Bourignon, uh is made with burgundy and yes some people will be offended if you make it with other types of wines. I personally am not
1: what do you say to well, what do we say to these people that say that it's a bit of a fraud of a dish that it is not an old dish that um that the idea comes from the the julia child's uh the um you know, the sort of the fashionable Francais food. Mm -hmm. I listened to a podcast recently. There's a, I don't know if you know, um, of MasterChef Australia. Um, There was a previous judge there, Matt Preston, and he has recently written a cookbook that is the world of flavour and he demystifies dishes from around the world. And one of the things he says about the bourguignon, it hints on what we talked about before, that uh, it's the bourguignon, the process of the cooking which is the dish, not the beef Burgundian? He says that the original dish was a duck dish, not a beef berth- oh, sure. dish at all.
0: Oh, uh, but you know what? Uh, uh, in the Middle Ages, you know, they when they had uh, when the uh, when they were lucky to have uh, a meat and, and have a piece of meat that you know they would put it in a stew, and then you know what, you just put a liquid in your stew. You might as well put a wine and not water, right? <laughs> it tastes better. So yeah, you can approach cooking in a way yeah. of you know very strictly. Uh, and I'm glad there are people that do this. You know, it's important for historical reasons uh, to to know where plate, dishes come from and, and things like that. But honestly, you know, do you eat a boeuf bourguignon? You know, when you go to a restaurant in Paris and you order a boeuf bourguignon, do you order it because, you know, oh, it's this very specific dish that was invented in, you know, 1828 by this particular... Or do you eat it because it's good to you, because it feels good and makes you know it's it good in your mouth, right? So so that's the bottom of the bottom line of food and the bottom line of, of wine drinking, right? So many people uh, outside of France are so stressed about drinking wine because they think they have to, you know, swirl in a particular way and do. No. Does the wine taste good to you? Yes. Then enjoy it and, and don't stress about it. I mean that's my philosophy.
1: <laughs> but that's interesting though, because does that mean, you know, like I have had the experience of going to Burgundy and having a Buff Burgaignon in Burgundy that's obviously been made with with wine from that region. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the best birth bourguignons I've had. Is it because it was made with Burgundy wine? Is it ma- because it was made from the the beef from that region? Um, it was made by, I'm assuming, so, a chef that was born in Burgundy. Let's just hope. I've got my fingers crossed there. Is that the reason why it was so good?
0: Well, I think, you know, one of the things also we, we can't forget is that Burgundy, the, the, the Burgundy wine is very appropriate for that sort of dish because a Burgundy wine – Is not going to be too tannic, too heavy bodied, uh, too fruity one way or the other. So it's, that's why the Burgundy wine is, is an appropriate wine for, uh, for this dish. Um, because the sort of wine that is being uh, created in Bourgogne actually fits, you know, reducing and cooking for many hours. Uh, it'd be the same thing as, you know, if, if you, uh, cook something in, um, in Guinness versus a pale ale, right? So the pale ale would be very better. And so so it will definitely impart uh, something on the dish. So I'm not saying that you should not use burgundy wine. That is not, you know, you, you should, if you can, and if you can, can find it at an affordable price, you should use burgundy wine. Uh, but you shouldn't feel that if you don't have access to burgundy wine, you cannot make that dish right and so the key also is is one of the key things about this dish is that you should be able to drink and enjoy the wine that you use in the cooking i think that's the, that, that's probably the golden golden rule is that if if you don't like drinking that wine uh by itself then do not use it in cooking <laughs> right uh, so that's the key yes so and again so if you can find a good enjoyable wine at a reasonable price, and in France, of course, we have access to tons of Burgundy. But if you're in Australia, if you're in the US, uh, South America, then that might be much harder. So you might want to try to find a, a wine that is a local wine that is that has that flavor profile.
1: And I think that's very important too, because it is about what your the best wine that you can afford, yes, and that you enjoy, and it is about your taste. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoy about being in france is that there is a wide variety of wine but that also means that um you know like i quite like very cheap wine here in france and i have that available and for me for my palate for my taste it's good it might not be to some expert in, in wine and or somebody that really knows their wine but i really know my food and what i like and what i taste and for me it's good and so i think that should be the same for everybody that's the key that is absolutely the key. Cooking a beef bourguignon. Then, um, what's in it, and what's your number one tip for making it? And I'm going to—I'm testing you here because I'm assuming that you've watched my video on cooking fabulously. Yes, yes, I have. About making a beef bourguignon, you have your own way of making it. So now I want to know what's in a beef bourguignon, and, and what's your number one tip for making it
0: so what is uh, the, the basic ingredients of the bœuf bourguignon? is of course uh, so the beef the, uh, the red wine uh, but also aromatics so uh, carrots and onions and then uh, um, you have the bouquet garnis so or like or bay leaves or uh, some thyme to kind of give you know like any stew uh, there's a little bit of tomato paste but that's mostly for color and not for uh, not really for the taste uh, there's an optional, you know, there's there's garlic. Some people don't put garlic in it. Uh, some others, you know, do. It depends yeah, It's on the, on the flavor. And then um, there's a couple of things that, based on the recipe, you add either towards the end, completely at the end, or you add a, a little bit before the end, which are lardons, um, um, uh, lardons, lardon, which are uh, it's a piece of bacon. It's like a thick-cut type of bacon. Uh, roasted mushrooms, usually uh, you know Parisian mushrooms or something like that, um, and also a uh, kind of traditional is is, is to put also uh, pearl onions, which are you know small tiny onions that kind of remain ret- regain the retain their shape. Uh, so that's pretty much you know I think the basics. Uh, um, so, uh, you know, the way I do it is a little bit. So, you know, I've, I've, I'm aware of the Julia Child, you know, which the classic Julia Child black and white uh, clip, uh, you know, recipe that you see, mm-hmm. uh, the Jacques Pepin's interpretation, and um, you know, I, I, I kind of uh, I've developed a little bit my own technique, which I call my beef, uh, my bourguignon the three day, but also oh, worth it, bourguignon so it's a dish that I make over three days. And one of the things I make, uh, I do a bit differently than the kind of uh, these other traditional recipe is that I marinate the meat, the raw meat in the wine for overnight. But the problem, uh, if you, if you marinate meat in uh, red wine, uh, without, you know, uh, you get like a, the, the, the alcohol taste of the wine kind of really kind of comes through. So what I do is I actually, I boil the red wine first a little bit for like five, 10 minutes to get rid of that alcohol, uh, that really strong alcohol flavor. I let it cool and then I marinate the meat. And then on the second day, on the second day, so the meat with the carrots, the onions, uh, the, the the bay leaves, all these things, and leave it overnight. And then the next day, I remove the, uh, the meat and all the solids. I dry off the meat. And then, then I go and I um, uh, forgot the term for uh, not broiling it. But I, I, uh, you know, I thank you. <laughs> Suddenly uh, the, the term escaped me. So I braise the meat. And, and here the, the key, I think, is to really uh, uh, develop a really thick crust. Uh, it, you know, your meat should not be, you know, shouldn't look like it's been, you know, just kind of cooked back and forth. It, it should really, you know, of course not burnt. But it should really have that kind of really caramelized exterior, uh, because that will impart the most flavor on your dish. And then, you know, the rest of the recipe is kind of more traditional. I tend, I know a lot of people put the, um, put the, uh, the bacon at the end. I actually like to put it early into the process because it imparts, you know, really good flavor onto the dish. Um uh, so it's le- like, so it's less of a accoutrement and, and more of a, a part
1: of the dish. You mentioned Julia Child's recipe before, and you've just you've just mentioned bacon. Julia Child's recipe calls for bacon to be boiled before yes. that you before sauteing mm-hmm. it. Now, this was not part of any original recipe. Mm-hmm. It's a reflection on the quality and the way the bacon in the US at the time Absolutely. was produced. Yes. So in recipes like Julia's, Jacques Papin's, etc., that were from a specific time period. Are they relevant now? I mean, there is there other things that you shouldn't be doing. I mean, you don't if you go and boil good quality bacon now before putting it in your beef yong you're ruining your bacon.
0: So I would actually, uh, I, 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 I would argue. I've actually myself boiled bacon. Why? Because uh, if your bacon is too salty, right? So it's it's you have to. Uh, yeah. You have to know your ingredients. Uh, and if you, f- if the piece of bacon that you find, you should either know your bacon or at least taste a little bit, because if you, um, if the bacon is too salty, then it will really uh, uh, one make your dish really salty, but two, it will overpower the dish. And so I've, I've had it done sometimes where the bacon that I, I you know, sp- like you said, especially when I was in the U S even, you know, yeah, 20 years ago uh, um, where you know finding even great quality bacon, but for somehow that bacon was too salty, then I actually parboiled it a little bit just to kind of get re- remove that salt. Uh, not removing the any of the fat or you know I think which is which is also another reason why I think childrenil Child does it. It's time to kind of get rid of, of that excess fat, because it's true that bacon in the US usually has a lot more fat content. Uh, than uh, what we might find in europe but it, it's 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 techniques that you use or don't use um, if they're if they're needed or not based on your ingredients
1: but do people know that I mean i'm not sure that everybody there's such a a notoriety to it there's such a a fandom about people like julia childs and and people of that era. That are they recognizing that these recipes were made for people in the 50s and the 60s nowadays when they make these dishes? Now, I'm not sure that they like, um, you know, for an example, uh, creme fraiche, mm-hmm. a lot of recipes in Julia Child's was creme fraiche was not included, mm-hmm. um, because it was not available exactly, or sour cream, um, was replaced, there's cheeses, yes. etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I suppose, yes, you, 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 it's about knowing your ingredients, but is there other things in cooking a beef bourguignon? Um, you mentioned before you roast your, um, mushrooms. Why do you, are you roasting your mushrooms to get flavor? Are they supposed to, does that help with soaking up, uh, the actual, sauce etc what why what other processes are there that you should be doing it at a beg and young that maybe you shouldn't that they didn't do in the past to make it more traditional now
0: I think the roasting of uh, the uh, both both of the onions uh, and of the mushrooms uh, and when I mean the onions the pearl onions that you put you know because you have some onions that you put with with your carrots that are kind of the the, the base of the dish uh, but the the little pearl onions that you add a bit later that remain whole, and the um, and the mushrooms are roasted because most of the time roasting something kind of uh, you know accentuates the, the 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 flavor profile, and that's you know that's you know I don't think you would do it for any other reason. If you just dump some raw mushrooms into wine uh, into a wine sauce, yeah, it'll, it'll be a texture kind of thing, but I don't know if the the flavor will be there or. Um, you know, going back to your question of uh, should we follow blindly? First of all, I don't think you should follow a recipe blindly uh, unless you're in cooking school and you're going to pass cooking exam where you absolutely need to know. You you know, you, you need to adapt your cooking based on the ingredients you have. And like you said, uh, a dish that was developed in, you know, let's assume or let's, you know, uh, you know, th- there's debate on that, but let's assume the dish was developed in Burgundy uh you know several hundred years ago then to think that you're going to be able to follow that exact recipe if you are home in indonesia uh is 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 not correct so you're gonna have to adapt a little bit and and not only for adapting for for time and for you know 100 years of evolution of things being sweeter or, or access to produce but also because, you know, locally you might not be able to source
1: every one of these ingredients. But this is interesting because this is where I get to the Julia Child And sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love mm-hmm. Julia Childs. Yes. I love uh, her cookbooks and I love I, – I in Australia, we didn't grow up with her like Americans did, but uh, it doesn't mean that I don't have that influence um, because I love French food. But this is a thing, you know, she was – in order to get her book published – One of the reasons it took so long was because they had to do it for an American audience. They had to change Mm -hmm. French recipes for an American audience. So here we are now talking about French food and how things um, uh, can be adapted for modern times, but then does that mean we lose the traditional recipes if we're going to adapt them?
0: Uh, I I would... um You know, in France, uh, uh, so uh, (laughs) this is turning into more of a philosophical, you know, (laughs) discussion. No, but it's it's very interesting. It's super interesting.
1: I know. I love a good philosophical conversation.
0: (laughs) But it's turning out into. Uh, uh, you know traditions, and either you know maintaining traditions or or, or having them evolve with time. Uh, I would imagine that in Burgundy, uh, they're going to serve a uh done exactly the way it's supposed to be made. So that's never going to be lost.
1: Do you teach Olivier um, uh, on this philosophical philosophical philosophy? You know what I'm trying yes, to say. Yes, absolutely. Um, on this question of philosophy, do we teach people French? Just to put it back into oh, the, yes. the, the those Very nice terms. segue. Do we teach people uh do we teach people French the way the French speak it? Or the way that Americans speak it? So uh you well, because or the way that modern times speak uh, it. Do you, that's the big do question. you teach me yes. French with without the you know, where an at is an at symbol, not at a t. You know, like how far do we stray so uh
0: it's it's a great segue because it is exactly what what you know uh we do at french days we teach you know the reason it's called french days we teach modern french which we teach the french that is spoken by the french people uh today and i'm not taught and and you know sometimes people say oh you know uh, and we we call it sometimes also street french and people think, oh, it's it's slang and things like that. I says, no, no, no. That's the way, you know. It's modern French is a way, you know. Uh, my uh, a, a, my eighty three year old, uh, um, you know, grandmother would speak it, or or it's not it's not you know slangy. It is just the reality. So the question is, you know, what you have to decide. is like yes, yeah, so of course you need to learn. You need to learn the base. You need to learn the 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 the, the true the real the original you know, either recipe or the original, you know, French and the proper way to say things. But also realize that in today's world, if you do, you know, and let's go, let's skip into the uh, speaking French. If you speak French, the way that you write it, or that you've read it in a book that was written 50 years ago, people everywhere are going to look at you in a very strange way. And that's kind of basically... Uh, uh make your interaction uh, uh, decrease the level of interaction that you have because people might think that you're either completely uh, foreign or that you're very snobbish and very posh. Um, so that will affect the relationship. And so you take that approach to recipes. Yes, it's very good and, and I think you know we, sh- we should be aware of the original original t- uh, recipe. And in the case of Burgundy, it's kind of fun because uh, we have all this, you know, this this see between you know the publicized and the, the the one that's made famous versus the real one. Um, so but, you know, we, you could take it to other uh, dishes for that approach. You have to know the the original. You have to know the ingredients. But I I personally don't think you should be afraid if you don't have the ingredients. If the choice is. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna make a bourguignon because I don't have access to uh, pearl onions. I find. I find this to be a, a very sad thing. You should be making a bourguignon and enjoying it.
1: But it's interesting that this has come up and that our conversation has turned around in this way because um, with what you were talking about the French language there today in my French language class actually um, there was some English people there. And they were talking about how at school and I, they were all similar age to myself, uh, all in their mid 20s. Okay. All right. Maybe not mid 20s. Maybe late 40s. Um, They were all in their late 40s and they were all talking about how we didn't. And I can say the same in Australia in the set, in the, when I went to school in Australia, uh, in English, we weren't taught these things. We weren't taught uh grammar so to speak mm-hmm. we weren't Absolutely, taught, taught yes. passé the the past tense and things or like that or even
0: this the difference between that was not a, taught. a verb and adjective uh subject it, all these exactly. things
1: yes. but they were each inter- it was interesting to note that uh one of them has children in school at the moment um uh, an 8 year old and a 15 year old in school in the UK and they are being taught these things now because there's been so much a lapse in modern times with you know uh, the shortening of the english language with twitter and all of these things and technology etc um that now that they now they are apparently being taught proper english um, in Hatter's, so I do find that very interesting, and I wonder—and um, not to go on about it too much—but I wonder if that's what will happen with French food, that we will go back to learning the proper way to French food, and that yes, if you use a Burgundy wine, it's a beef bourguignon. Um, but if you're just using a red wine from Australia or somewhere else, it's just a stew of beef with red wine. Absolutely, who knows?
0: It's, it depends again on your on your approach to life. <laughs> like, you know, it's.
1: Olivier, uh, my final question for you today is something I ask everybody on fabulously delicious, and that is, uh, what is the most fabulous thing about France for you?
0: Oh, so many thanks. Um, you know, I, I, I can't claim that France is perfect, but uh, I think the the uh, you know kind of maybe staying with the theme of, of food and, and 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 enjoying food is is how uh, the French are so good at making something very basic, but but making it absolutely incredible and just kind of focusing on on, on the very, you know, French food, a lot of French food is doesn't have to be overly complicated. You know, there's a, uh, and my, probably my favorite, favorite example is a sandwich uh, a jambon beurre, which is a ham and butter on, on baguette, right? That is, those are three ingredients, you know, you cannot make it simpler, uh, uh, but yet uh, there will they will be this. You know, you will go. You know, you'll travel twenty kilometers out of your way to find that one bakery that has that one bread uh, and uses that one type of uh, Brittany half-salted butter, uh, and that has this local ham to make you to make a, a ham sandwich which is basically very the most basic thing uh so i think the french are, are that's I, I, one of the things i absolutely love about french and this is uh it, it's just this kind of simplicity but but uh, uh excellence in the simplicity and that applies to many things yeah
1: Yep, I love it, Olivier. It has been fabulous talking to you. You really are a true Frenchman, actually, because we got to talk about food and philosophy uh, (laughs) all in the same uh, conversation. (laughs) That was fantastic, with with hardly any arguments. We were, you know, just uh, going along with the flow. Olivier, thank you for joining me on fabulously delicious and teaching us all about the beef bourguignon. Thank
0: you for having me. It was uh, very enjoyable.